people are forgetful. People are forgetful. You know, I forgot what I looked like without a beard. I seriously did. I had had a full beard for five years, and I genuinely did not know what I looked like. I tell people I shaved just because I had to make sure I even still had a chin. It's true. I, you know, cut it with the four guard, cut it with the one guard, cut it with no guard, then shaved it off, and I was like, look at that thing. I've got a dimple in my chin. I forgot about that. I, I inherited this from my father. My family affectionately calls it a butt chin. Some of you guys in the back are like, I need to look at his chin a little closer next time I see him. Some of you guys are like, did he say butt in a sermon? Can you do that? I honestly don't know. I didn't ask anybody. I just went for it. So this first hour, I may get a couple comments outside and have to change it up. But have you ever forgotten something? Do you ever forget the, uh, the essentials for the day? I'm talking phone, wallet, keys. Anyone ever, you know, you, you can't get very far without your keys, but you forget, you forget. Um, it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Just that, maybe it's just an instant, maybe it's a little longer until you find it, but it's just like the sheer panic of losing something. You feel terrible. If it's your wallet, it's like my license is in there, all the money's in there. It, it's a terrible feeling, right? Well, the, at least the, the, the tension of losing your phone has drastically went down with the find your phone app. Right? Does anyone use that? Find your phone app. That's nice, right? One. Okay. That's cool. Well, m most of you guys are probably more like me, and you take the, uh, I don't want them knowing where I am approach. Is that anybody? I don't want that GPS on my phone. Yeah, thank you for being honest. It's, it's ridiculous, right? Can I just be real for a second? Because I'm in that category, too. I, you know, all the privacy settings off. This app wants to know your, uh, where you are. No. You know, I just, that's just my instinct. But, but we, act like, we act like Apple has hired all these ex-special ops agents, right? And they're just tracking, like, what Nate Plyler's doing in Wabash, Indiana. You know, like, they, they got four computer screens. Look, hey, hey, look at this, look at this. He's going to Walmart. There you go. And his buddy in the desk next to him is like, Drop an Amazon ad into his social media. That'll, yeah, that'll, that'll fix that. It's ridiculous, right? But, but we still act that way. That, that's okay. But even, even if you lose your phone and you don't have the app, what can you do to find your phone? Give it a call, right? Somebody call my phone. Somebody call my phone. But if you lose something like your wallet or your keys, there's no hope for that. There's no hope. And I got to tell you, in the Plyler household, keys are lost very often. Now, I, I love Chloe. I love my wife very, very much. And she is intelligent. She's bright. She's sweet. Super gifted. But the woman can lose some keys. I, I just, my goodness. And, and here's the thing. It, it doesn't bother me that she loses her keys because we're forgetful. That's what I said. People are forgetful. It happens. What bothers me is her first instinct when she loses her keys is, Nate, have you seen my keys? Now, when I lose something, you know, I'm checking all my pockets. Okay, let's check the pants from yesterday. Let's check the jackets. Let's, let's sweep the house. No, with Chloe, it's, Nate, where's my keys? Sorry if I embarrass you, Chloe. I love you. I'll keep looking for your keys. I'll keep looking for your keys. 
It's funny though, I mean, there are entire marketing strategies that are built around our forgetfulness. Think about belated birthday cards. The only reason that works is because we're forgetful. Now, belated birthday cards are really smart. It's, it's marketing genius, because what a belated birthday card says is, happy birthday, sorry I'm a couple days late, but I love you, happy birthday, it's great, you know. That's what a belated birthday card says. What a belated birthday card means is, dude, I totally forgot about your birthday. I, I didn't even know until Facebook told me, and that was on the day of. So I ran and got a card that said, sorry, I'm late, sent it to you so you'd get your belated birthday card right on time three days after your birthday. It'll work, though, because it says, sorry, I'm late. So that's, that's what it says. How can we worship when we don't feel like it? How can we give thanks to God when life circumstances give us no reason to be thankful? How can we call upon the name of God when he doesn't feel close? How can we love God when he doesn't seem as loving as he has before? How can we hold on to faith when we have so many questions? How can we abide in the vine when we just don't have any strength left to hold on? When we are absolutely desperate for a touch from God, how can we reach for the divine and, and infinite when he seems just so hard to grasp? He's just out of reach. These are serious questions that we wrestle with in this faith. If you haven't had these questions yet, count your blessings but I'm gonna tell you they're gonna come. Now I, I used to have answers for all these questions. I used to have answers that looked really good on paper and I was trained um, to, to provide answers for these questions for other people, questions that are theologically accurate and uh, they look really good, but it wasn't until this past year of my life that I've really had to wrestle with these questions, not just in theory, but in practice. These are the questions that I've been asking this year. And it's not so easy to answer. But here's the thing, I really believe that the answers to some of these questions and human forgetfulness have a link. I think the link is remembrance. Flash back with me to the book of Exodus. God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for years and years and years. And chances are that the pyramids that are still in Egypt today were built by the hands of God's own people. They were built under the oppression of the Egyptians but with the hands of the Israelites. For 400 years, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And for 400 years, cries went up to God, generation after generation, culminating, echoing up to God, deliver us from slavery, deliver your people from this death. And after all those generations, God appointed a leader. He set apart Moses. And he said, I'm going to lead, you're going to lead my people out of slavery. And in that time, God performed so many miracles. So many miracles. Now, mind you, these miracles were physical manifestations of God. This was something that 
was undeniably God because they saw it with their own eyes. They sensed it with their senses. They felt the power of God, and they saw the power of God, and they saw the presence of God among them. Miracle after miracle after miracle. It's incredible. And we're going to look at those because I really think that the story in the first few chapters of Exodus and our story sitting here in 2020 don't just don't just have a link. It, it's not just relevant. I believe our stories are often mere images of this story. So let's 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 look at the let's look at the miracles that God did. These these undeniable showings of God's presence. The first one, God sent ten plagues in Egypt. Each one getting progressively worse, and each one showing the people that God, Yahweh, is stronger than the gods of Egypt. And not one Israelite was touched by these plagues. These plagues infested Egypt. They destroyed the Egyptians, but the Israelites were left untouched. And this all culminated into the 10th plague when God destroyed all the firstborn sons in Egypt, except for his people who he had instructed before to, to kill a, an unblemished lamb and paint the blood on the doorposts. And the Bible says when the death angel swept through and saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over that house. And then the people left three, left. But let's look at number two. They plundered the Egyptians. Think this is 400 years of an economic and social system of slavery. And the Egyptians not only said, get out of here, we've had enough, but they said, you know what? Take whatever you want. That's in scripture. The Bible says that God put it in the hearts of the Egyptians that the Israelites plundered them and took silver and gold and, and, and fine jewelry from them. Take it. These are the slaves plundering the slave masters. Number three, the pillar of cloud and fire. As the Israelites were um, navigating out of Egypt, there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that literally led them. This wasn't a figurative God is leading me. This is literal, this giant column of smoke is God. And wherever it goes, I'm going to follow. Undeniable, physical manifestation that God is among us. Number four, I love this one. The angel stands between. And I've got the scripture reference up there if you want to be flipping through and, 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 and follow along with me. But um, they're coming up again, uh, to the banks of the Red Sea, right? And the Bible says that the Egyptians got all upset and they follow them down. Fancy that, right? The Egyptians follow them down. So this entire nation of Israel is camped out on the shores of the Red Sea. The, one of the biggest armies of the world in that time with their chariots and horses are, are coming down to follow them. And the Bible says that an angel of the Lord appeared to stand in between. Now this isn't... I could have died in a car accident and, and a guardian angel protected me. And, and that's, hallelujah, praise God. I'm not saying that's not real. I'm just saying this is different because everyone could see this angel. Egyptian and Israelite alike. This is a guardian angel, sword unsheathed, standing in between the two armies. The Bible says that the pillar of cloud also moved and stood in between them so that the radiance of the light, no one could approach it, Egyptian or Israelite. And God stood in between his, the people he loved and his enemies. After that, they crossed the Red Sea. God sent this massive wind to tear apart the wave, and an entire nation of Israel, this isn't like single file, like three and four people. This is hundreds of thousands of people, an entire nation's worth of people crossing through this sea, not on marsh, not on swamp, 
not on seaweed, but on dry ground. And then after that, the Egyptians follow in through. They drown. Physical. They could feel the water, but their feet were dry. Bitter water made sweet. They made it through, um, and they're coming through, and they have nothing to drink. They come to what the Bible refers to as bitter water. I assume that's salt water, something they couldn't drink. It needed to be potable. God instructs Moses. He tosses a log in there, and the Bible says it becomes sweet. Not just potable, but sweet water. Later, God appears and affirms, appears, yeah, God appears and affirms himself who he is. He says, I am God. I'm going to take care of you because the people are already grumbling at this point. They're already complaining. And Moses and Aaron call the people together. All the people gather together, and God descends once again in a cloud, and he says, don't you get it? I'm God. I'm going to take care of you. Number eight, quail and bread. People complain that they're hungry. We've had water, but where's our food? And they, they complain. It's ridiculous. And God's like, okay, here's a bunch of quail. They're in the middle of the desert. And God just, just covers the landscape with quail just for the picking. I imagine little kids just like, woohoo! all right, let's go. Let's go eat. And, and bread rises up from the ground. And it was delicious. It tasted like honey. Number nine, it continues. They're traveling on through. This time they need water again. And this time God instructs Moses to tap the rock with a staff and water gushes out of this big old rock. I would have loved to see that. Number 10, Amalek defeated. Uh, the Israelites didn't just wander into a land where no one inhabited. It was inhabited. And, and on the way they came across some enemies. And this was one of them, the Amalekites. And Joshua goes out to battle and Moses stays back. And whenever Moses has his arms raised... With his staff in the air, the Lord gives victory to the Israelites. And whenever Moses gets tired and his arms go down, the Amalekites start to prevail. I mean, it's obvious. So what does Moses do? He gets Aaron and her next to him. I love this story. They, they sit him down on a stone chair, and they, they stand and, and support his arms, and the Israelites win. They're vastly outnumbered, and the Amalekites are defeated. Now, what, what does Israel do with this? This isn't just information. These aren't just doctrines to understand. These aren't things to memorize. What do they do with this physical, undeniable showing that God is here, God is with us, God will protect us? These are things that you can count on because I saw it with my own eyes. What do they do? They forget. Completely, utterly forget. What's more astounding to me is not the miracles because God can do whatever he wants what's astounding to me is the people's just lack of remembrance let's look at some of their responses let's look at I'm, I'm in Exodus chapter 14 let's look at verse 11 and 12 Exodus 14 this is what the people said direct quote is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better to, uh, for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. Exodus 16.3. Turn a couple pages. Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Can you believe the Israelites? Listen to them. They were enslaved. They weren't eating meat. They weren't filling, they weren't eating bread to the full. And here they are complaining that God is, has abandoned them. Turn the page again, Exodus 17, 7. 
This one may hit a little closer to home for us. Is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever asked that question? I have. Is the Lord among us or not? Now bear in mind, if you look at these references and compare to these ten miracles, this isn't after the fact. This isn't God shows himself so abundantly and so powerfully and so physically and then the people who saw it die and they neglect to tell their children about it and then a new generation rises that forgot, that forgot the Lord. Now that is, an, that is a part of the story and that's a part of our story too. We, we have to train the next generation in the way of the Lord. But that's not, that's not this story. This is in the midst of all this happening. This is last night before I went to bed, I I did what God told me, and I slaughtered the lamb, and I painted its uh, blood on the doorpost, and my son wasn't killed, but all the Egyptian sons were killed. And God led me out of Egypt, and I I took as much as I wanted from the guy who just yesterday was beating me for not listening to him. I took as much as I wanted, and I walked out, went to bed, and the next morning the Egyptians are coming with their armies, and I'm thinking, God, where are you at? Have you taken me out here to die? brother of Israel, don't you know that's not how God is? Brothers and sisters, don't you know that's not how God is? Nate, self, don't you know that's not how God is? As astounded as I am with the Israelites' attitude, I recognize that I do the same thing. How many times has God provided for me richly I forget. How many times has God given me clothes on my back and food on the table and I neglect to thank him for it? How many times has God painted a sunrise across the sky? How many times has God dotted the night sky with stars? How many times has God kept this thing we call earth rotating at just the perfect speed and curling through space at just the right time and at just the right distance from the sun to where we're warm but not on fire and somehow keeps my feet planted on it and your feet planted on it. How many times has God given me breath in my lungs and blood coursing through my veins? Friends, that's all the time. That's God. And yet I forget. I forget that it's God who's taking care of me. Now, I haven't seen God physically, not in the way that that Moses and the Israelites did. I would have loved to have been there, but I wasn't. Maybe you have, but my guess is chances are most of us haven't seen God manifest himself with with our two physical human eyes. And I don't call that shot. That's God. But you know, I have seen God's goodness in the I have seen evidence as, as when the wind blows through the trees, you see the tree swaying in the breeze, and that's the evidence of the wind. Just as that, I've seen the evidence of God's goodness in the world. I see it in, in friends like you guys. I see it in generosity and goodwill. I've seen evidence of God's truth in the world, that, that what God says is true really is true, that when we live by the principles that he's given us in Scripture, what he desires for us will come about. I've, I've seen his truth um, I've seen his truth in the world. And I have seen in moments, they're, they're few and far between. They're not as often as I thought as I would want them to be, to be honest. But I have seen in moments of just unrelenting grace and, and movement of the spirit, 
when I become still enough, I have seen moments of, of God, and I, I've, I've had moments where I felt his presence. I don't know how else to describe it, but, but in those moments, the love of God, uh, the presence of God is absolutely undeniable. There, there's no denying it. I hope you've had moments like that in your life. Um, they, they don't come all the time. Again, I don't decide that, but, but in those moments, it's absolutely undeniable. No denying who God is and, and how he feels about me. So why do I have these questions? I think it's because we're prone to forget. More than that, more than just human tendency, we have an enemy who is actively doing everything he can every moment of our lives to get us to forget who God is and how good he is. We have an enemy, and he wants us to forget. We have an enemy, and he wants us to forget. Because here's the thing. Satan knows that if we remember who God is, that if we remember how good he is to us and how good he is to his world, Satan knows that if we remember, he has no power over us. He knows that if we just remember who God is, he can't keep us in those places that he loves to keep us. Those places of greed, of doubt, of rejection, anxiety, depression, fear, worry. He can't keep us in those dark places where he loves to keep us when we remember who God is. And so Satan is actively attacking our minds. Actively to get us to forget Fast forward to the book of Luke, chapter 22. We're going to sit down with Jesus. Luke, chapter 22. We'll start at verse 14. Note that Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. This is that meal that commemorates everything that we looked at in the book of Exodus. This is the celebration feast that God's people did every year to remember what God had done back in Egypt, back in the Exodus, back at what we had looked at. So we'll pick up in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So this is going to be a different kind of Passover. This is going to be a different kind of Passover. Uh, number one, Jesus says he's going to suffer. And that doesn't make any sense to his disciples because the Passover is maybe the most joyous, celebratory feast on the Jewish calendar. Because remember, we're celebrating the fact that God delivered us from slavery and from death in Egypt. We're hooting and hollering. Praise God, he delivers his people, right? And Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. And Jesus also makes a hint of something. He says, I'm not going to eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So something bigger is going to happen this Passover. Something different is going to happen. Let's keep going. I'm in verse 17. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, he says, disciples, something different is going to happen this year. And Jesus calls that the kingdom of God. Verse 19. And he took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, it's an odd thing to say, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Do this Passover. Drink this cup. Eat this bread. Eat this lamb. Celebrate this Passover. Do this in remembrance, not just of what God did in the past, of when God delivered his people from slavery and from death in Egypt, but do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, disciples, listen in. I don't want you to miss this. God delivered past tense, but God is delivering future tense, or present tense, and God will deliver future tense. God delivered his people from slavery and from death in Egypt, and he provided. He continued to provide. He continued to care for them, and we're celebrating that. We're remembering that, but also something else is going to happen. God is going to deliver his people from death and from slavery once and for all. God is going to continue to provide for his people once and for all, and friends, what I'm doing right now, Jesus says, disciples, what I'm doing right now is going to be so big, so catastrophic, so mind-blowing that people in 2020 on March 8th are going to wake up one hour early just so they can come to church and celebrate what I'm doing. It's going to be big. And it's going to come through me, Jesus says. The disciples still have no idea what's going on, but what Jesus is talking about is his death. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends handed over to the religious leaders who were supposed to be pointing the people's eyes towards God, handed from them over to the Romans who were supposed to be conquered by God's Messiah, beaten, given a crown of thorns that was supposed to be a royal crown of a king, and hung up on a cross. The, the Passover post with the blood of the lamb was no longer above a door, but it was across a room. And the blood of the lamb did not spare him from death. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Jesus wasn't just talking about his death, friends. He was talking about the resurrection. Jesus was talking about how Jesus, though dead in body, alive in deity, fully God, fully man, fully alive and full of life, descended into death and like a warrior from a fairy tale is swallowed whole by a beast and slays it from the inside. Jesus Christ went down into death and from within death itself unsheathed his light sword and pierced death and death no longer has any hold on us and death no longer gets the final say and though we die we will live and Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead and everyone who believes in his name and who follows through to the end will be raised up and with him forever eternity amen that's what he was talking about and he says do this in remembrance of me and if that's real if that is real if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real why do I still have these questions why are we so quick to forget this how is this not on the forefront of our minds how do we still get so distracted from things that just don't matter in eternity? We have an enemy. 
and he wants us to forget. Our enemy wants to hold on to any power that he can salvage over us because he knows that he has no power because the only thing that he had was fear of death, and Jesus Christ defeated that, the book of Hebrews says. He, by death, defeated the fear of death in us. He, Satan has no authority over us, but he'll do anything he can to make us think he does. He wants us to forget. Let me describe what that looks like for me. This past year, I have struggled, sometimes wallowed in depression. And some of you guys know exactly what that means. For those who don't, I'm not talking about I have some unfortunate things happen to me and I'm sad. I'm talking about a mental handicap in where when my brain produces the uh, chemical to make me feel joy and happiness and contentment, the receptor can't receive it. And so everything in life that is supposed to make me feel happy and joyful and content, my brain's not receiving that message, so I'm only getting the messages of things are bad. And I leaned into that, and I fell hard. And it was miserable. And that's, I don't know what temptation looks like for you. That's what it was for me. It's, it's depression. That's, that's the attack that he's waged. And I, I didn't get to choose where Satan attacked me. You don't get to choose where Satan attacks you. It may be in your body. It may be in your home, your family. It may be in financial possessions. For me, it's my mind. Um, but I've learned something through this experience, through, through this darkness. I've learned, and it's, it's not through anything that I've just come up with, because when I was depressed, I had no ability to think. It, it came through people. It came through you guys, people who saw me and cared about me enough to talk to me and people who'd, who've walked down that road before and, and who had understanding and, and even friends who didn't but who were willing to tell me what I needed to hear when I just wanted to be coddled. People who told me the truth, what I needed to hear. And, and here, here's what I've learned, that there is a, there's a difference, there's distance between what is real and what I feel. There's distance between what is real and what I feel. And I learned that Satan loves to just broaden that gap. And when I'm depressed, that becomes a chasm. Because what is real never changes. What is real is eternal. What is real is the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. What is real is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is real is Jesus has conquered death. What is real is Satan's lies have no power on my mind, that Jesus Christ is winning and that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to set things all things right. That is what is real and that never changes. But what I feel, and I have a tendency to lean into my feelings too much, what I feel often is terrible about myself, about the world, and even God's influence in the world. What do you feel? If you're not a feeler, I know not everyone's a feeler. What, what's going on in your life? What is, what is happening in your life that's keeping you from seeing what is real? That's keeping you in the material realm and that's keeping you from looking beyond and, and, and as, as countless people did, as they're looking towards the promised land, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 talks about, they, 
they received the promise without having received it? What is keeping you from receiving the promises of God as we look forward to it happening? Is it something going on uh, with your car, something going on with your family? What is it that's keeping you from living in what's real? I don't know. But I do know this. What is real is eternal and unchanging. And we have to be disciplined about keeping our minds here and what is real. Because it's not just that I'm a human and I'm forgetful, but it's that I have an enemy who is giving everything he has to keep me over here, keep me in what I feel, and keep my mind off of what is real. So how do we combat this? How do we combat our enemy? I want to get practical with you guys for the next few minutes. I want to give you guys tools to remind yourself to live a life of remembrance of what is real. Everything I'm about to say is nothing new. You've heard it before. But I, I want to encourage you, to exhort you to lean into these disciplines because remembrance is a discipline. We have to train our minds. We have to be, uh, as Romans says, for our minds to be renewed and, and changed that we have to train our mind to rely on what is real, not just on what we feel. So we, we do that in two ways. We remember in two ways. We remember by word, and we remember by worship. I'll look at them in turn. We remember by word. And I note that that is a capital W. I'm talking about the word of God here. Uh, please hear me. I'm not talking about sermons. I'm not talking about Christian books. I'm not talking about what other people say about God. I'm not even talking about Bible study materials. Now, I love all those things. I'm preaching right now. I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't believe in it. But I'm telling you that if those things, though great in themselves, if they're not paired with time and the unadulterated holy word of God, they will be useless. If you are not spending time in the word of God, because this is the only place in the world where you will get pure truth with a capital T. What I'm saying up here, what Solomon says, anybody who preaches, it's coming through a filter, and I'll, I'll tell you, my filter is not pure. But if you will spend time in the scripture, if you read it, if you listen to it, if you listen to yourself read it, you read it out loud, if you meditate on it, if you make this your food, if you seek it with everything that you have, if, if you're disciplined about spending time in your word, you sing it, you recite it when you're tempted, that is how we train our minds to remember, because this is where the truth lies, and the only way to combat a lie from the enemy is with the truth. Now, I want to give you a warning. It's a discipline. It's going to get hard. Friends, I don't feel like reading my Bible every day, but I do. When I do, it's not always feels like, well, that's the victory. I made it through temptation. I trudged through a, a chapter of the Bible. I don't read. Most of the time, I don't read for today. I read for a month down the road. I'm, I'm preparing. I'm training my mind to remember who God is and remember what God's done as I look through the stories of what God has done in the real human lives of human people, and I want to remember that. I want that to be my food. There's a story in Jeremiah when he, he actually eats the scroll of prophecy uh, and I want that to be my sustenance. I want everything that flows from my body to be rooted in the word of God. 
you're not going to feel like doing that every day. But if you want to live in what is real, the victory of Jesus Christ, not just over your life, but of the lives of all, you must spend time in your word. You must be disciplined about it. And I, I hope that I'm not coming across as judgy. I, I want to be real. I just know that this is where hope lies, and, and we, we have to be in it. We remember by worship. Check out Numbers 10.10. It says this. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and offer the sacrifices of your peace offerings. Listen to this. They shall be a reminder. They is the trumpets themselves. Shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. The physical trumpets, the physical action of blowing the trumpets in worship to God was a reminder. It turned the people's minds back as their bodies were, were turned in a certain position. Turned their minds and hearts back to remember, I am the Lord your God. We don't worship just when we feel like it. We worship because God deserves it. And friends, we, we don't just sing when we feel this incredible outpouring of the Spirit and we just have nothing else to do but sing. I wish it was like that every week. It's not. We sing to be in an act of physical obedience in hopes that our hearts will catch up because they will. We worship. In Numbers 10.10, 10, he says, On the day of your gladness, if you're feeling glad, blow the trumpet. There are some of you guys in here, it's like, worship. I'm feeling great. Like, this is awesome. And hallelujah, keep it going, you know. But there are some of us in here who don't feel very glad. But what do we sing? He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. We still sing it anyway because we put our mouths in submission to God, in obedience to God, and we recognize, even though I don't think it, even though I don't feel it, God is good, and God is in control, and I'm going to put my mouth in submission to that truth in hopes that my heart will follow, and friends, it will. If you stay with it, if you're disciplined with it, it will. So consistently worship. I'm talking about Sunday morning attendance. I'm talking about throughout your week, consistently worship. Here's a couple of ideas. Write down attributes of God. Start a journal. Write down attributes of God and worship him for it. I totally ripped this off of the reading plan that we've been doing, the, the U version. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. Start a thankful journal. I, my, I ripped this off of my mom who ripped this off of Van Voskamp. This isn't, these aren't new ideas. These, and, and I used to think it was so cliche, but friends, I, I can't tell you how many reasons I have to be thankful to God. Even when I'm in the lowest of depression, there's something to be thankful for God of, and that helps me out of that deep pit. Use your body to worship, sing, show up, just present your, your whole self, your body as a living offering to God, even when you don't feel like it. That is our discipline, that is our true worship. When we gather on Sundays, we also worship through the physical act of communion, and we break bread and, and we take the cup. And that's what is birthed out of what we read in Luke 22 and Jesus says do this in remembrance of me and and that meal that Jesus was celebrating was birthed out of the Passover that we looked at in the book of Exodus and we we connect ourselves to a story that God has been moving through history for much longer than we have and 
God's story isn't always about us. And so we submit to that story, and we take the bread and drink the cup and just soak in the presence of Christ. Because he's here. Lord, we feel it in here. Let's pray. God, we are unworthy to your servants. Um, but I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you rose from the dead. I thank you that you're here with us this morning. My prayer is that you would make us a people and remember as we go out from our lives but also in this very moment as we eat, drink, and remember in your name. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name.